1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. I'm just going to read it and then we'll get into it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, as we've been looking at the book of 1 John, John's been given us several proofs, basically, to see if we're walking in fellowship with God. We all like to say, yeah, we're Christians, we're following the Lord. Well, John wants to make sure. There was a lot of false teachers giving them information and influencing them and pulling them every which way. And, and, and John just wanted to make sure these believers were rooted and grounded in the truth, that they knew when they come up against something false that's, that ended up looking like these other things, the teaching, the fruit of it, the people who were teaching it, ended up looking like these other things. They said, that's not walking in the light. This is walking in the light. So a lot of what John is doing, there's a context of heresy going on. I'm not going to get too deeply into that. I'm going to bring it into just our modern context. But John has given several proofs as if we're walking in fellowship with God or not. And the overall image that John gives us in chapter one is that of walking in darkness or walking in the light. If you're walking in fellowship with God, you're going to walk in the light. If you're walking uh, in darkness, you're not walking in fellowship with God. That's the overall imagery he gives us. And he says, basically, if you're walking in the light, you're gonna, your lives are going to look like how Jesus walked. That's, that's the main thing. You're going to look like a Christian, a little Christ. And so as John says in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, by this we may know him, uh, we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And in chapters 1 and 2, so more proofs that he, he tells us here. He gives us several, several proofs, basically, uh, that we are walking in the light. And I'm not going to reteach them in, but they're basically in that believers have fellowship with one another as we walk in the light together. There's a koinonia that happens, something special. We connect with one another at a very deep level, and it's when we see the needs in each other's lives, we can't help but give out of the gifts that we have, kind of like what happened this morning. There's a need, it was given by those who had it. Uh, we confess our sins also to the Lord as we walk in the light, who is faithful and just to forgive us of uh, unrighteousness. And so walking in the light means our darkness is going to be exposed, and we go to the Lord who is faithful and just to forgive us. And that's what believers do. We confess. Um, we obey the commandments of the Lord. We obey the words of the Lord. This is simple. Obedience is, is, a, is a mark of a Christian, of a true believer. And we love one another. We sacrificially love one another. That's what we do. And we're growing spiritually. And so all those we've gone over, but those are all marks, all proofs of, of truly being in the Lord. And, and now this morning, John gives another evidence that we are truly in fellowship with God, that we have truly been born again. And another evidence here, he says in verse 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. It says, don't love the world or the things in the world. And evidence of a true Christian is that, that they don't have a love for the world or the things in the world. Now, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> Do not love the world or the things in the world. The, world, the word world there in Greek is cosmos, and, and that basically can just refer to the physical created world. I mean, it often is in Scripture. So when you're, when, when you're reading that, you could say, don't love the world. It's like, yeah, I hate this planet. You know, let's go to Mars where there's nothing and it's barren. It's 
like, I always wonder about that. Like, if you can, if you could terraform Mars, just start with Earth. Anyways, um, but if you could take it, at, if you took it at face value, you could walk away with this idea that he's saying, don't love the world. And there's this idea that everything physical is bad. That's not what John is talking about. He's not talking about hating the physical world around us. If you look at Scripture, um, in you know that John isn't speaking of that because we know that the Lord created the world and what did he say about the world when he created it? Man, it's good. And even in its fallen state, you read in Romans that the creation, it, it, it declares the glory of God. It, it, it screams of his attributes and who he is. So even in its fallen state, it's an opportunity for us to see the glory of God. And, and the psalmist can't stop but talking over and over and over and over about uh, how the, the, the creation should cause us to worship God. It's so magnificent, people get it wrong that and we start to worship the creation instead of the creator. What it's supposed to do is to point us to him, how awesome he is. And so, but he, he's not talking for us not to love the world in that sense. But there's also another sense in, the, in that the, wor- the term world means like the people in the world, humanity. And, and so you could read this and say, don't love humanity, you know, or the things in it, whatever that means. Uh, we know from John 16 that for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. So God loves people even in their fallen state. He loves people. This doesn't mean he dismisses sin. He just loves people. He loves his creation. He loves humanity. He loves people from every tongue, tribe, nation. Obviously, he redeems them. So it wasn't that God is saying here uh, through John, he isn't saying don't love people, although we'd like to translate that that way sometimes. That's inconsistent with the character of God and what we read about him. And in our, even our command to love our enemies, even the people that we, we don't love, who do us harm, we're called to love back like he has done for us when we were his enemies. So John isn't speaking about the people in the world or the physical world. What does John mean when he says, do not love the world or the things in it? John is speaking of the invisible spiritual system of evil, the world order and way of life governed by Satan. It's an invisible spiritual system of evil. It's a world order, the way the world works. It's a way of life, a fallen way of life, and it's governed by Satan. It's empowered, influenced, pushed, modeled, by Satan, and it is all around us. We are in it. We are in this world. From the day that Adam and Eve fell, that Adam sinned, there was a rogue government that was established. There was a rogue leader installed. And on the cross, Jesus bought it all back. And he's going to come back to take possession of it. But in the meantime, we're in the world. And the, the, and, and, and John says, do not love that world. Don't love the things of that world. And I'm going to explain this a little more deeply as we go, so we kind of paint the picture of what the world is. But the word for love there, it says don't love it. Well, what does that mean? That word love is the same word uh, that we have. It's agape. 
It's the same word that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a sacrificial love that puts the needs of others above self. And I know that's the context that God calls us to love one another with that kind of love, the love with which he loved us. It says, don't love the world sacrificially. Don't buy into the system where your whole life is devoted to this. Don't love it. Why? To love the world is to walk in darkness. And if the pattern of your life and actions are in alignment with this fallen world systems, John says, if that's so, if anyone loves the world, what does he say there? The love of the Father is what? Is not in them. It's not in them. You cannot love the world and love God if you're in fellowship with him. Love for the Father and love for the world are incompatible. They are light and darkness. They are two opposing loves. They are opposing loves. James, in his letter in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, he puts it this way. He's talking to a people who did love the world. He's saying, you adulterous people. He considers it like adultery. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, that word means hostility, is hostility with God. It's war with God. Friendship with the world is war with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself a what with God? An enemy with God. An enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say, listen to this verse as he's quoting the Old Testament, he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. There are no roommates allowed. There's no room for the world in this relationship. There's no competing love. He yearns jealously for you, for the spirit to abide in you. God is jealous in the best sense of the word. There's no vacancy for the world in our hearts as Christians. Let me, now let me paint the picture as to why and, and help uh, define a world in a little better light for you, okay? Because when we're talking about the world, it's kind of like we, we know how God is opposed to it. We know how we're not to be in it, but what in the world more is that? What does it look like? The paint, let me paint the picture. God, God saves the spiritually dead. He saves the, the sinful. He saves the rebel. He saves the one who is opposed to him. And he saves them out of the world. That's what he does. Out from under the power and the influence and the dominion of Satan. That's what he does. And he conveys them into his kingdom of light when they are born again through faith in Christ. There's a, tr a spiritual transformation that happens when someone believes in Christ, when they're born again. They are conveyed from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. They're taken out of the world and into the kingdom, spiritually. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way. It says, He has delivered 
that is rescued in the NIV. I love that. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You see the Lord, he warred for you. He fought for you. He busted into the enemy's death camp and grabbed you out of your chains and gave you freedom and walked you out and brought you into his kingdom and made you a daughter and made you a son instead of a slave. Amen. That's what the Lord did. So what he's saying is, don't love that place I took you from. Don't go back. My son's blood was spilt to buy you out of there. Don't go back to Egypt. We were saved when we came to Christ. So some of us this morning, we have not had that conversion experience. We can sit in church all day long, but there hasn't been a true conversion in our hearts. But God is willing and he is present to do that. He sent his son to die for the penalty of our sins that we would be paid for for our rebellion against God. And he rose again to give us new life in him. So believe and receive Jesus, turn from your sins and turn to God in faith. He will set you free. But if you are a believer, you were set free from the power of the world, from, from the power of Satan over your life and all the trappings that come with it. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles. This is going to help really paint the picture of the world in a better light for us. Trying to describe the spiritual state in which we were redeemed from. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians, you've gone too far. Ephesians chapter 2. Just beautiful verses. If you, if you can memorize any piece of scripture, start here. 1 through 12 is awesome, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 describes the world that we were told not to love in this way. And you were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. And what you once what? Walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. How did we live? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? Wrath. We were at war with God. That's how, that's how we were. And so the world that Paul speaks of here consists of people, the spiritually dead, spiritually dead. And, and, the, and the world has a course, it has a pattern, it has a way, a system that the spiritually dead walk in, and it's defined by disobedience. That's what it is. And this walk, this course, is engineered by the power of a very powerful demonic being, a fallen angel named Satan. This world is satanically under his influence. Have you ever wondered why there could be so much stupid going on <laughs> and people keep running off cliffs? I mean, just look at what we're doing. Our nation is insane. And everybody kind of logically goes, oh, 
well, that doesn't make sense. Why in the world are we doing that? And yet, we keep going. Listen, they're not that smart. And neither is the world that smart. Look at the direction the world is going in godlessness and all this type of stuff. You figure they would think it, it, you know, all these things that are happening, they, they would reason, but they can't reason. They're under the influence, they're under the control of the enemy. It's the pattern, it's the way, it's the pull, because it's all pulling at sinful desires. That's all it's doing. It's pulling at what people want, and everybody wants whatever they want. So we're all going in 500 directions now. Satan is powerful. He's in control of the world. It's systems and the people who populate it. This world, it's systems, it's people are identified here in that they are disobedient to God. They're under the power and the sway, knowingly or mostly unknowingly, by the prince of the power of the air. That's just another way of of saying Satan. And Satan is in direct opposition to God's character, his will, his nature, his ways. And so you have an earth that is moving against God, his ways, his wills, and his desires. And the only time that we line up with what God's wills, ways, and desires are as a society is when it's convenient to us as a society. Otherwise, we just keep doing what we want. This is the world. It's in opposition to God. And all the world systems and the philosophies and the religions and governments and media and music and entertainment and education are all knowingly or unknowingly driven by satanic influence, and it appeals to the fulfillment of the passions of the spiritually dead. It is pulling at your flesh day in, day out. That is what it's doing. What it's doing. Ask yourself why you drive the car you drive, why you eat the food you eat, why you you know, have the house you have, why, you just ask, what, what does the decision-making process for all these things? And I'm not blaming you, I'm just saying we're all a part of it. Do you think the advertisements coming on there appear to your, appeal to your better nature when they're selling you a hamburger? What are they appealing to? Man, they just throw that thing down there, it's all, and you're like, yeah. You know, John, uh, James, I love James. James is so hardcore with the church. He loves them fiercely, but he's like, he's not cutting any corners. He says, don't be fooled, man. Sin doesn't come from God. God doesn't tempt. He isn't drawing you into sin. It's not his fault. You know what sin, where sin happens? It comes from within you. This is when you're lured and enticed away. Now, we've talked about it before. Anybody like to fish? So, John, Davin, tell me about fish. I mean, half the time we talk, you're like, I didn't get anything. But what are you thinking as a fisherman when you didn't catch anything? What are you thinking? Must be doing something wrong. Must be doing something wrong, right? Must be doing something wrong. They want something else. Yeah, exactly. All that's a, exactly all those things. And so you will take go to great lengths to put the right thing in front of their face so they'll bite. 
what are you appealing to? You're appealing to that fish nature. You bet. And you're going to get them, and you're going to cook them, and you're going to eat them. Or that's the goal. We have an enemy who walks around like a roaring lion who seeks to devour. What's he going to put in front of your face? What's he going to pull? You are not that person, so what's he going to do? He's going to put the piece of fish or bait or whatever it is. He's going to chum the waters for you to go after it. He's going to appeal to your fallen, fallen desires. And we all look at each other going, oh, well, I don't have that problem. Well, no, you don't. You got a whole nother one that he's working on. And let me tell you, our systems, our government, and I'm not sitting here going an anti, everything's all bad, but it is inundated I mean, why are, are politicians doing what's right? Or are they trying to get votes? And they're telling you all the things you want to hear so they can have what? Power. And they'll throw you a bone. I'm just saying, this is the way the world works over and over and over and over and over. This is not the way the Lord works. And people are knowingly or unknowingly, they are influenced and, and, and driven as the enemy appeals to us in that fallen nature. He appeals to us. He's appealing to the fulfillment of the passions of the spiritually dead and the desires of their minds. So you just wonder why there is a blindness and a darkness and it's all exponential that's happening. It's a spiritual blindness. It's a spiritual darkness that's come increasingly so over our country. It's not as if we've always been the greatest thing on earth. We know that. But it's, it's happening more and more and more. And this darkness is going to escalate and escalate on the earth. And there'll be times of going up and going down. But it is potentially going to come to the place to where the Lord, it's going to get so bad that finally the judgment of God comes upon the earth and he's going to return and he's going to set things straight. And believers long for that day. Not that we want to see unbelievers annihilated. We're just tired of the darkness. We want his righteousness to rule and reign. But the person who loves the world goes, no, 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 no. Don't do that because I want to live in this. This is my home. This is where I belong. These are my things. These are my people. This is, this is my kingdom. Everything about it is just so me. Right, it is. This world is antichrist. It desires, ultimately, its direction is, is not God-glorifying unless it serves its own purposes. And Ephesians 2, 3 says we were all a part of it. God went into that. He sent his son, light into darkness, to, to pull out people and to change them, not to... See, here's the thing with church. Let me just throw this out there. Churches are, are fishing for dead people with dead things. We appeal to, to lost people with lights and motorcycles and, and whatever else we can pull up on stage and, and, and twirly things and cool and how hip I am and $500 shoes and whatever it is. What are they appealing to? Appealing to your flesh. Those are false. That's false. But what happens... 
to the Lord. Is, is he's not concerned with that stuff. He just sees right past all the fluff of all of us. He looks into the heart and says, you're dead and you need life and I have it. And he convicts us and it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. It makes me not want to be around that because it says you have to surrender everything. You're in darkness, but I'm light and I'm life and I want to give it to you, but you have to surrender and he comes into our lives. We've experienced it, church. And he comes in and, and you just say, Lord, you're right. And I'm messed up and I can't fix myself and I can't clean myself up to come, come to you, but your son died for me and here I am. I believe that he died. And he will make you new. And when he transforms it, it's no longer an outside in. He doesn't have to appeal to you with candy and all the bait of the world and all the things. He appeals to your spirit because now you are a new man, a new woman in Christ, and you desire the things of God now. Those are the things that pull you, the things that please him. And it's weird because you just start loving the Lord and the things that he loves and the people that he loves, the lost and the saved, and you start moving after him in a way that you've never moved before. There's life. His life is in you. See, that's how you know you're born again is that you walk like Jesus walked. And the things of the world, you start looking at them and the music starts falling away that you used to listen to. Why? Because it isn't cool or hip or whatever this is like. It's just not me anymore. It doesn't fit. Those are old clothes. The things that they're talking about don't line up with who I love. You know, religion tries to get you, get, get you to get rid of that stuff without having the inward change. See, when Christ gets a hold of you, those things fall off. The attitudes, and believe me, sometimes they hang on for a while. Um, yeah because we're still being moved into the image of Christ. We still have spiritual growth to do, like we were talking about last week. Amen? But this world is inherently anti-Christ. Each of us have been anti-Christ in our life until Christ came in and changed that situation by his love and grace and mercy. Amen? Ephesians 2.3 says we're all part of it. All a part of the world that John speaks of, we were walking dead, once walking in that flow, following our fallen desires. Is it wrong to desire a hamburger? No. It's awesome. Hamburgers are great. If you don't like hamburgers, fine. You know, you can have your, your loaf of falafel, whatever it is. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, totally. I got an amen over here. Woo! <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you know, but that's not meant to rule you. Sex, not meant to rule you. Money, not meant to rule you. You see, as a believer, we have unbelievers, they're ruled by these things, they're ruled by all these pulls. God-given, now perverted. You see, when the Spirit comes in charge, those things get put in balance. They get put right. They're in submission to the Lord, and they're good, and they're blessed. And so we can eat with thankful hearts, and we can be married, and, and all those good things that God's, God's given us. We can have deep, meaningful of friendships and relationships, and we can work hard and make money, and, and we can give hilariously and all those types of things. You can just 
you can do all these things in Christ because they don't rule you. Are they pulling at you all the time? They are because you have a fallen nature and that's why God's going to give you a new body. But until then, John says, don't love those things. There's only room for one. Love him. And this is, a, this is what Jesus was talking about in, when he's talking to the disciples. He says, do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to, you know, what you're going to wear or where you're going to sleep. Don't worry about those things because the pagans go after those things. What are pagans? Non-believers. I know it sounds derogatory. He's just saying that's how the world works. That's their whole life. They go after this stuff. Don't you know your father loves you? Look at the birds. And he goes like to a bird. Do they have to worry about a bunch of stuff? No, the father feeds them every morning. They got worms. They go get it and all that stuff. He'll take care of you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. He'll take care of all this stuff. Don't make the stuff one. Don't make it a roommate with God. Make it secondary and God will put those things the right, the right way they are. And there's seasons where those things abound and, and they go away. But when God's in control, then it's all good. <laughs> We're not going to make it <laughs> on this. But the that's the world the Lord took us out of, being driven by that constantly. That's the world we were a part of before Christ. But you see, Ephesians 2 doesn't stop there with us being stuck in the world. Just check out verses 4 through 6. But God, you were all those things. You were stuck. You were dead. You were following the enemy. You were doing all those things. But it says what? But God. Being what? Rich in what? In mercy. He saw you. Rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were, what? Dead in our trespasses. What did he do? He made us alive. How? Together with Christ Jesus, by grace you have been saved. Saved out of that. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, God loved and his mercy and grace were given to us in the form of his son who came and died to redeem us out of the world. To those who believe, God took us from death to life, from sin to salvation, from being seated in a system to being seated as sons and daughters in the King of kings and Lord of lords kingdom forever and ever and ever. Amen. You were saved from the world to God. Peter and 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 through 11 says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He grabbed you out of the world. Why did he do that? We already said because of his great love. But he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is the kingdom of light that we are a part of, church. The kingdom of light. We are in the world, not of it. Amen? Amen. Once you were not a people. You might say, I, you know, talk about identity politics. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's the kind of people you need to be. That's where my identity is, not in the color of my skin or where I came from and all these things, but in the king who made us all. 
My identity is in him. Once you had not received mercy, but now you what? You've received mercy. And beloved, he says, I urge you as what? Sojourners. What's a sojourner? <laughs> Nomads. Don't have a home. Living in tents. This, you didn't put down stakes. You're now sojourners. And as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your, your soul. It's not your home. Don't love it. Don't let it rule. There's a competing love there, a love for God and a love for the world. Peter says there in verse 11, you are sojourners, your home isn't here. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. God, so God is jealous. He didn't send his son to die to let you stay in the world, to let you stay in Egypt. He delivered you and he's delivered you out. But so many of us want to wander in the desert. So many of us stay in the desert and we look back to Egypt and go, oh, wasn't it so good? I had everything fulfilled. Instead of moving to the promised land and they died in the wilderness. That's what happened. They had to wait till another generation came that trusted the Lord and moved on. Don't go back. Don't love the world. Walk forward in faith. Proof that we are in fellowship with God is that we do not love the world or the things in it. Because, John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? It's not in him. No competing love. Jesus, when he was speaking about money in John, in John 6, 24, he said, no one can serve two masters. What's going to happen? How many of you have two bosses and there's no clarity about who's in charge? You're going to love one and hate the other. And I think about that too, like with the void of Marcus and Arthur, I'm like, great. There has to be some clarity there. No one can, you know, but no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one or despise the other. That's just the, what we do. And we, it's the same with us in the world. You're going to love your stuff. You're going to love the world or you're going to love the Lord. Either he's Lord or the other things are. That's the way it is. In the same way, John lays this out. And I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Got through verse 15. Great. But the same way John says not to love the world, he says don't love the things in it. Don't love the things in it. And he's going to define what those things are, and it's really insightful. Because these three areas are the way that the enemy gets us. Three temptations, the way he works. It's how he works in all, every single one of us. Any advertisement you see, any poll, any, it's going to be one of these three categories. And so John just speaks in this generalities. But, but you know, I, I just, I'm convicted. Do we, do we love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? It's like, oh, do you feel like Peter? It's like, I, I love you like a brother. You know, that's interesting. Is, is, is if you look at that verse when, remember Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And then he has the restoration moment when Jesus meets him on the Sea of Galilee. He asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Remember that I said that to Peter three times? Because Peter said, hey, I love you. I'll die for you. Well, he didn't. He ran away. But he asked him three times. And, and it's, you can't see it in the English, but the Greek, it's there. He says, Jesus says, do you agape me, Peter? Do you unconditionally, sacrificially love me like you said you did? And Peter responds, says, you know, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Philadelphia, brotherly love. And he says, well, go feed my sheep. 
comes back to him again and says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? Peter answers again. He goes, you know I love you like a brother. He goes, well, tend my lambs. If you love me, you're going to love these other people. But notice Peter isn't saying, yeah, I unconditionally love you. And the third time Jesus goes, do you phileo me? You love me like a brother? And that's when Peter busts down and cries. He goes, you know, I love you like a brother. That's all I got. He goes, feed my lambs. And I feel like when we get messages like this and we see the love of the world, and in my heart I go, Lord, I love you like a brother, but I don't agape you. Things have come in between us. Well, the Lord is right there. And he loves you. And he's the one who can give you a love that you don't have. It was always his plan. You can't do it on your own. So come to him. Remember, he's gentle. He's gentle with you. He's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. Yes, we got a lot. We get a lot of, oh, you little of you of little faith. The disciples got that like every day. Oh, you of little faith. But he loved them to the end. He kept bringing them into maturity. Amen? So the answer here is not make you a better you. It's surrender yourself to the one who died to make you new. Run to Jesus again today. Amen? Pray about those things in the world. There's parables that we can go over but we're not going to. So, Lord, we don't want to be those who say, Lord, Lord, and, and don't do what you say. Father, I think of that, I do think of that parable, Lord, where the seed was spread out and it didn't have a chance to grow in so many situations. And one of them was the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choked out the, the life in one of those situations. And Lord, we want fruit to grow in our lives, spiritual fruit. Help us to, by your grace, to really see the spiritual world around us. To see where our affections lie. Help us to not be fooled, because Lord, you said, if we love the world and the things in it, the love of the Father is not in us. And so, Lord, take center stage in our hearts. Go into every room and examine it and clean out what we can't. And so we just lovingly submit to you and thank you for your grace and your power to change us from the inside out. We love you. We love you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.